Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. So glad you're with us, giving us the most precious thing you have, your time. And we appreciate it as we try to do what we always do on Herd Tell, turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the information we need, not just to talk about it, not just to add to the caterwauling, but to actually discern the times we live in, try to do a little bit better job of not only communicating, but understanding what's going on in the world. We have another uh, horrible thing to talk about to start with. This Lewiston, Maine, I have determined, and I did what I usually do. I didn't talk about it immediately, didn't do a lot of tweeting about it, wait for the details to come out. As I record this, we've just had the morning news conference with all the officials. I waited to record this for the show uh, until that news conference was done because that's the official information we get. We have 18 people dead, another dozen or so wounded and in hospitals in various states. We're not going to use the shooter's name. That's the policy we've had in my writing and on this program for a long term. Um, we don't know the full motives yet, but we don't use the names of these people. It's out there if you want to find it. We do have some information on the suspect. They're calling him a person of interest. We have him on video doing this so they know who did it legally. Of course, you have to do legalese to talk around it. Um, went into a fun center, kind of a bowling alley type thing. Had a weapon. Looks like an AR-type weapon. We're not exactly sure yet, but that's the type of weapon he was using from the photos that we've seen. This is a person who has been uh, associated in one way or the other with the Army Reserves uh, for at least about 20 years, according to the initial reports we have. He has a rank. He's a fuel specialist. He has not deployed overseas that we know of. That's the information we have so far. He is at large and on the run. He's armed. He's obviously extremely dangerous. We also have reports of him having sought and had some type of mental health treatment of some variety. There's differing reports on it. We will figure that out as we go. This is why you wait on these things. There's also people searching because the name's released and we have the picture through the social media. So now all the political stuff gets added into it. I had a couple thoughts on this other than just obviously it's horrific for the community. This is a beautiful small town kind of area, Lewiston, Maine, um, you know, Americana at its finest, New England at its finest. In a lot of ways, the governor uh, spoke about how she has deep, deep ties to this specific area. And you could tell the emotion in her voice. I think we do a disservice by calling these mass shootings. It's mass murder by gunfire, but it's mass murder. One of the things about calling it a mass shooting is that's a great you know, 
perm to get searched on and to put in the news stories. It fits into all our narratives. Everybody can just mount their ramparts on where they're at on things like guns and violence and things like this and just go off and not have to think about it any further than just the term mass shootings. It's mass murder. 18 people are dead. And when we start talking about the methodology of the killer and start trying to talk about the policy of the methodology and tool that he used to commit the mass murder, I fear that we start losing focus on the important part, which is the human aspect, the people that died, the people that lost their lives, the people that are wounded, the people that will be emotionally and psychologically wounded because they lost loved ones or witnessed this and that sort of thing, a community that's been ripped apart now and will have to come together to try to heal. And once again, we're going to have to sit and have this national discussion over it. A lot of people are going to start screaming, do something. Well, the problem is if you just start at mass shootings and go straight to guns, then that's doing something that's probably not going to actually solve the problem. We can have a gun control debate if you want to. We don't know the terminology. We don't know the situation. We don't know the motives. We don't know anything about this except, well, they used a gun, so do something. We've done this after every single one of these incidences, and not a lot's changing. So what does that tell us? We don't focus enough on the human aspects of this. What we do know so far is, like a Uvalde, like the Buffalo shooting, like almost every uh, mass murder shooting that we can think of, there's one thing in common that we're seeing over and over again. We're seeing people that went through the cracks of the system and didn't get caught. Clearly, this was a person that had issues, sought out issues. I want to put a disclaimer right here, though. Just pause, semicolon, parentheses, whatever. Just stop and hear me real quick. Mental illness by itself is not an answer to violence. You can be mentally ill and not commit violence. We cannot use mental illness as an excuse for violence and or to head pat violence as, oh, well, they were mentally ill. This is part of the same thing as saying mass shootings and just talking about guns. We want to try to simplify these things into something we can do something about and understand and go and fix immediately. And that's not what these problems are. These problems are wider than that. And what is very clear here is we have institutional systematic problems in our reporting systems and our healthcare systems. We know this person, you know, if he's in the reserve, he has a government oversight. Did the supervisors catch it? Did employers catch it? Did people know that this person was trouble? There's reporting that he himself knew he was having problems and reported it. How did this happen? Then you can go to something like, well, how does somebody with mental health crises get their hands on a weapon? Now you can go to the do something and the policy of it, the icky stuff. But everybody wants to skip to the end of it. We don't focus on the victims. We don't focus on the people. Every problem, every policy, every headline, everything's a people problem. So if you're going to fix it, you got to start with the people, the people that were the victims it's easy to point to them and go, in their name, we're going to go do this. But really, you need to go to the people problem of the perpetrator. What caused it? Why didn't it get stopped? Why wasn't it identified ahead of time? Because once the bullets left the gun, there's not taking any of that back. So people want to focus on things like the gun control issue. We can have that debate. That's not going to solve everything because this is a people problem. And people are icky. See, the thing about guns is it's easy to hate the gun. It's big, it's black, it's scary. It's easy to blame the gun because it doesn't talk back. People are complicated. People are very sticky and icky and hard to deal with. And they don't fit nicely on Instagram posts or Facebook posts or Twitter posts. These are people problems. And you have to have an all of the above answer usually to try to figure out how this happened because there was many, 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 many steps before this person got around to walking 
into these places and killing people. Keep all that perspective in mind as we go down the road on this. We can wait 24 hours, 12 hours, 48 hours to get the accurate information. We already see a massive amount of information about this case that is wrong. We've even seen fake video go out and people get caught up in it. Wait, do what I did, trying to lead by example a little bit here. I waited until that 10.30 a.m., the following morning press conference to get the correct, number one, the correct death toll. The death toll has been misreported until today. We waited and got that right. We wait and get the suspect right. We will wait to find out what the motives were and the reasons why. We will hopefully get him apprehended and or at least neutralized where he can't hurt anybody else. And then we'll start picking through this. But when you're picking through it, Remember to keep the perspective. Don't just go into this story, get the one thing that you want to talk about, pull it out and wave it at everybody and go, see, if you fix this one part of this, this would have never happened. Because that's not true. There was many reasons this happened. There's many lessons to take from it. And if you're going to start preventing these things, there's going to be many lessons to learn from it. And if you're saying you have one thing that will cure all of it, you're not only wrong, you're making it worse. More Hertel right after this. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Good news, folks. We have a Speaker of the House. That only took a couple weeks and multiple rounds of insanity and all sorts of nutty stuff. Mike Johnson, representative from the great state of Louisiana, is now the Speaker of the House. Um, there's a lot we could get into this. We'll cover it. I wrote a piece at Ordinary-Times. You can link to it where I talk about, you know, a little bit about Mike Johnson's background and how he got to this spot. The one thing, most people don't know anything about him until this happened. I would argue this. He obviously can operate a little bit quietly. I know Jack Tapper on CNN um, recounted a story from years ago when he first met him, when the guy wasn't even in Congress yet, and he struck him as a particularly smooth operator. The big takeaway with him is he's a lot more soft-spoken than a Jim Jordan or some of the other bombastic figures, but he is a Trumpian person through and through. He's not faking culture warring for the cameras and for the fundraising. He really believes that he comes from a background. Uh, some of the religious freedom advocacy stuff he did beforehand, he's very much, um, he comes to it honestly. That's what he believes. He's a true believer on this stuff. But he's not the Jim Jordan bombast yell scream. He's soft-spoken and extremely smart. I think you believe what people tell you through their actions. He got the job. The one thing you shouldn't do is just underestimate him just because of the messiness of the process. However, 
he has a tell here of how successful he's going to be as a speaker. He has a thin majority. He has all the same problems Kevin McCarthy had. None of that's changed. Math hadn't changed. Senate's still run by the Democrats. Joe Biden's still in the White House. Still has the Rockets Caucus with some really wackadoo members he's going to have to deal with. But uh, Jake Sherman and Punchbowl News and some others, um, Olivia Beavers has been really good on this stuff. Eric Garcia, our friend that's on this program, has been good on this stuff. Pablo's been good on this stuff. But they've been reporting on this. There's something you really want to pay attention to as an early tell. Mike Johnson does not have a big staff. He has a very small staff, even by congressional standards. He's moving from a basement office to the most, <laughs> one of the most luxurious offices in all of the federal government because now he gets the speaker's balcony overlooking the mall and all that good stuff in the speaker's lobby. Can he staff up? He doesn't have the staff to be the Speaker of the House. He doesn't have the fundraising mechanism. The reason Kevin McCarthy got to be Speaker was not because of his just his political acumen. He was an absolute walking ATM in fundraising. He set records almost every quarter. Uh, Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, the majority leader, have massive whip operations to get the members in line, communication, you know, the stuff that actually makes politics work, not just doing the talking heading stuff. So I suspect what they're going to do, because they don't really have any choice and with the speed they're going to, is most of Steve Scalise, who, by the way, is another Louisiana Republican, they're close friends. The Steve Scalise operation is the majority leader of the whip stuff and Kevin McCarthy's organization. They're just going to move the same people to do the same things they've already been doing. It's just going to be Mike Johnson at the top of the station area and in charge of it. But here's what to watch for. That's going to create a power struggle somewhat. If Mike Johnson really wants to be the Speaker of the House, he's going to want to take control of those operations and be the guy in charge. And we already know Steve Scalise kind of bucks a little bit. That's why he got torpedoed in his own run for the speakership. Him and the McCarthy people don't necessarily get along real great sometimes. They'll get along for the cause. But Steve Scalise thought he was going to be top guy. Now he's back to being the number two guy. We'll see how that works. Will the McCarthy people fall in line under Mike Johnson? Will he be able to take over and actually weld the power without having to go through McCarthy and Scalise and the whip and other people that weld power in the house. That's the tell in the next few days as they start trying to do some legislative things as to whether he's just going to be a figurehead for the already existing power structure in the house, or if he's going to take control, take power and actually run it as an effective speaker. That's what to watch for. Is he going to be able to actually get control of this caucus Again, all the power problems that McCarthy had, those are all still there. We'll see what he does. We're going to judge off actions, not words. We know what kind of person he's going to be because we have quite a bit of book on it, just because we had to Google it because a lot of us weren't paying attention to him before he popped up. That's the thing. That was the piece I wrote in Ordinary-Times.com. I'll link to it and you read the whole thing. Got to watch out for those quiet ones. All of a sudden, by the time you hear about them and Google who they are, turn around, they're in charge. Now, Mike Johnson is one of the most powerful, at least on paper, people in all the federal government. Let's see what he does with it. More Hurtel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, we've been covering these plea deals in the Georgia cases against uh, former President Trump and various associates. We have four of them now. Three of them are lawyers. 
So we're going to go to our lawyer, our resident legal expert, she's senior editor at Ordinary-Times.com, my personal editor, my particular friend. We love having her on the program. M. Carpenter, how are you, ma'am? I'm doing well, Andrew. Thank you. All right. You were writing Ordinary Times. You wrote up a little bit of a law splainer. That's a explainer of the law for those of you from Logan. Um, this Sydney Powell thing and the Jenna Ellis one, I covered it on the show. I've already talked about it a little bit. The Sydney Powell one you wrote about in the latest piece, we're going to link to it in the Substack notes, hertel.substack.com. Here's the thing. I know the law is supposed to be blind. We have the nice little statues of the justice holding the scales and the blindfold and all that. I get all that equal under the law. I get that, too. Am I wrong, though, me, a person judging a lawyer who is trained in law, especially Sidney Powell, who was a federal prosecutor and a very high end lawyer as lawyers go before she went off the deep end? Am I wrong for judging them differently? I think I hold them to a higher account when it comes to breaking the law. Am I wrong? You're not wrong at all. She knows better. Uh, And I think prosecutors will also have that in mind, although if she had gone to trial, her attorney would uh, do his or her best to make it seem like she was just, you know, caught up in the 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 fervor of what she believed in and that, you know, d- to make her look like she's just the same as any other uh, defendant. And, then, and that is how the law should treat her as though she is any other defendant. And in my opinion, it is treating her as though she is any other defendant. Yeah, here's the other thing that got me is when you have a Sidney Powell, when you have a Jenna Ellis, um, Chesborough is the other attorney here who's who's also taken a plea deal here. I find it just completely unbelievable when they say they didn't know or they were fooled or whatever. You can't have in Sidney Powell's case and Chesborough's case, these are career lawyers, decades in the law. Jenna's kind of a joke, but she's still a trained lawyer. I just find it completely incredulous when they go to their plea deals and they start talking about, well, I didn't know, or I was fooled, or I didn't understand. That that's There's no way that's true. There just can't be. Nope, I agree. Uh, and I know a, a lot of the arguments that I've seen when it comes to the lawyers is, you know, when it came to not necessarily in Sidney Powell's case, but in others where they thought, you know, well, hey, I'm just representing what I was told and that's what lawyers do. And that's that's true to some extent, but you can't swear to personal knowledge. You can't knowingly uh, put in the record um, something you know to be false. And a lot of what got them in trouble was not, uh, as Jenna cried, doing their due diligence to make sure that the thing they put in the record, sworn to affidavits, et cetera, had an actual factual basis. You have to do a little bit of investigation. You have to have something to back it up. Um, and sometimes maybe when you get to the Sidney Powell level, you know, you just accept, expect people to take you at your word and you maybe get a little loose on your investigative duties or your due diligence and don't think that you need to do it. You know, um, Sydney was mostly, most of her charges were conspiracy and had to do with, uh, and things she did going into the um, voting offices in, in Fulton, was it Fulton County, um, when she was not allowed to be there. And, and you know, that maybe is sort of an obscure law or an obscure uh, statute that or rule that she didn't know uh, it's possible. But again, yes, yeah, she should be held to a higher standard um, by the rest of us. Now, whether the law holds her to a higher standard, 
they should shouldn't, but I think a jury may have, and uh, Mitch may have led into her decision ultimately that she made this week or last week. I like in your piece at Ordinary Times, and we're going to link to it, read the whole thing. You really cut through the noise of this because you just put the actual document where the, that she has to sign, initial, annotate every step of this plea agreement. Folks that haven't seen this, you put it up. It's in you know wonderful detail that you can read at ordinary-times.com. I don't think a lot of people have seen these. I've seen a few of them. But, I mean, it starts, it's almost like a lie detector test, like, what is your legal name? How old are you? This kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it goes through the granular details. You can look right down through here. Do you understand what they mean by pleading guilty? You're waiving your right to a trial. You're waiving the presumption of innocence. You're waiving the witnesses called to testify you. You're waiving the right to a subpoena. You're waiving the way to the uh, to offer any evidence on your own behalf. There's a whole list of these. They go A through H. That's how many they are. And then in your own handwriting, you have to rewrite whatever plea deal you're being given. In this case, it's the probation and all this. This is a very, very thorough two-page document that they sign. There is, And then you turn around and see some of the fundraising and the social media where they're claiming this, that, and the other. Talk about that legal process. This is very specific. Most of these cases, the judges actually go through these documents point by point. It's a long thing. I know it was with the Jenna Ellis one where the judge asks them these questions again in court, even though they've signed it. Talk about it because people are acting like this is a railroading process. This is actually one of the most thorough things we have in our legal system. And yes, I understand prosecutors abuse it. And yes, I understand they overcharge. But the actual mechanics of these plea deals are very, very thorough. Yes, absolutely. When you are pleading guilty, you are giving up one of the most sacred rights that we have in America, this right to a trial. And uh, because it's such a, a crucial right, to be protected, that if you're going to waive that, we, uh, we as in the justice system, the criminal court system, is we're going to be very, very thorough to make sure that you understand exactly what you're doing. And so that's why we have these forms, and they have them in some version, probably at every jurisdiction. They are not the exact same form, but the content is going to be largely the same. It's going to go through, like you just said, all of those things that you are entitled to as a criminal defendant. And and saying, you know, you understand that all of these wonderful rights that you have, you are giving them away by agreeing to enter into this plea. And that's why it goes over it in such detail and making sure that you understand what you are getting in return. And, and quite often, and I believe is the case with Sydney, all you're getting is a recommendation as far as sentencing, a recommendation from the prosecutor. You're not promised that particular sentence most of the time. Judges don't like to have the sentencing power taken out of their hands. So very rarely do you get what they call a binding plea agreement. Um, So what she is getting in return is a recommendation from the prosecutor that she be sentenced to uh, probation. And my understanding is in her case, that's what she's going to get because she's a first time offender. Um, that, that That's most likely the, the sentences that she can expect to get. So they're making sure that you understand exactly what you're giving up and what you are getting in return. Beyond that, um, the court, as you said, will go over these out loud on the record. And as I said in my piece, in my days as a criminal defense attorney, I used to talk to my clients when they wanted to enter a plea. And I would be very, you know, I'd go over this form very carefully with them. Uh, I'd read it out loud to them. Most of my clients could read, but I wanted to make sure that they didn't miss anything. 
Uh, and I would tell them before we go in there, I said, listen, no matter how many times the judge is asking you, are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure you understand what you want to do? Uh, are you under do you understand what we're doing here? He's not trying to talk you out of it uh, because I have had clients where the judge is, has asked them that so many times. They start to think he's hinting around that or he or she, the judge is hinting around that, you know, you shouldn't do this. You should go to trial. And so I've had to tell them ahead of time, that's not what's happening. This is just the judge making sure you understand and that this is what you want to do. Now, a lot of the time in court, the judge is going to say, are you pleading guilty? Because you are, in fact, guilty. And the reason for that is that you're under oath when you are entering a guilty plea. And if you uh, are not guilty and you plead guilty and you stand there and say, I'll plead guilty, but I'm not guilty, you know, the judge can't accept it. The judge isn't going to accept your plea at that point. Uh, I wasn't privy to the actual proceeding with Sidney Powell, so I don't know if that exchange took place, and that form doesn't have that specific language, and my understanding is that the agreement was that she was conceding that there was a sufficient factual basis for her to be guilty of the charges that she is pleading to. Then she did turn around and say that she was extorted into accepting this plea. Well, yeah. In the way that all criminal defendants who take pleas are extorted, uh, in that they are agreeing to do something because the consequences of not doing so may be much, much worse. It's not extortion as an illegal type of extortion, but you do often have a defendant between a rock and a hard place. Do I roll the, roll the dice with a jury on seven uh, or more felony charges, or do I take this bird in the hand? And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult decision, especially for those of us who, are, who may be actually innocent of the charges against us. And yes, innocent people do plead guilty because it's often preferable to the, the potential um, for a, a, a jury conviction and a loss of um, liberty. So, um, but yeah, she, and she knows this, she's done this. She's, a, she's been a, a federal prosecutor. She understands exactly the situation she's in because she has most likely put many, many people in that situation herself. And I admit, as a former defense attorney, I, I feel a bit of schadenfreude to see a former prosecutor reap what she has sown because quite often these plea deals are just, just not fair, uh, but it's the best you can do. Yeah, Ann Carpenter joining us, lawyer, senior editor at Ordinary Times. Here's the thing. I We've covered on this program, you know, I've covered it with you. We've talked about it before. The justice system, especially on the bottom end, lower end offenders, prosecutors abuse plea deals a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But we're not talking about some guy that got caught with a little bit of pot and got it pushed up to a felony and they tried to make him into a trafficker. That's not what we're dealing with here. This is, a this is somebody who's been a federal prosecutor. This is an attorney. She decided at multiple points to do this. So did the others, but we're picking on Sidney Powell here. This is not prosecutorial overreach. You link to this ridiculous piece from the Federalist that Sidney Powell put out in her newsletter about this extortion stuff. I, I find it incredulous, number one. But number two, here's what this really does. And I talked about this with the Jen Ellis thing where she did her tearful, I didn't do my due diligence nonsense. We have these people's social media. 
We have their press conferences. We have this huge body of open source information on their behavior. And then I like to juxtapose it with it, what, what they say in court, because court's the truth, because you're under oath, because your life, liberty, and your you know, bodily harm is on the line, right? Because you don't want to go to prison. They're getting out of prison. She got, and you lay, you lay it out, so lay it out in detail for us. As deals go for an extorted plea deal, by her words, this was a real sweetheart of a deal. Because it turns out, under the first offender law, she's probably going to get this all espunged. Yeah, exactly. So the charges, there's six misdemeanors that she's pleading to. And the recommendation is that she will get a year of probation for each of those to be served consecutively. So six years of probation. And at the end of that six years, she can petition the court to have it removed from her record because they are misdemeanors and because she has never been in trouble with the law before. So, yes, when the other option is to go to trial and risk conviction on felonies and potential prison time and, um, you know, lengthy appeals process. And, you know, this wraps it up. It's some certainty. Uh, as I said, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on the law, but I believe that probation is the um, the sentence that under law she's going to be entitled to for these charges, it sounded like, um, unless she would break the law and get in trouble again, she's not going to go to jail. So yeah, it would, be, it would be hard for anyone in her situation to turn that down. You know, um, I don't believe she was required to lay out a factual basis or allocute or stand there and say, here are the laws that I broke that make me guilty of these these misdemeanor conspiracy charges. Um, in some, and in, in, in that's kind of a you know a good thing in her favor that you don't always get. Uh, most of the time, you have to stand there and say, "Yes, I broke into that house and I stole these items and I took them to the pawn shop." And you know you have to actually admit on the record what you did. Uh, there are there are exceptions such as you know the Alfred plea that everyone is familiar with, where you're basically saying, yes, I believe if I went to trial, there is enough evidence that a jury could potentially find me guilty. And so I would rather just take this plea agreement. Um, that is not always favor favored by courts and judges because they don't like to have a defendant who doesn't take responsibility for their actions. But in this case, my understanding is, as I said, it was just a, yes, I think there's a sufficient factual basis, but she still pled guilty. She didn't, this was not an Alfred plea. So, you know, I don't think she's made to lay it all out. So that kind of gives her the the wiggle room to keep telling her, her fandom and her social media followers and her newsletter subscribers that she's being treated unfairly by the court system. Uh, six misdemeanors with probation and expungement is not, uh, is not a harsh uh, deal for her. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Herd Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested 
and learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. M. Carpenter joining us. It's not only not a harsh deal, it's a sweetheart deal. This goes to something else that you touched on in your piece as you you know, got down to trying to explain this is like the criminal justice system I'm quoting here is complex and scary for folks. And sometimes a plea deal is a life raft. It can even induce factually innocent people to plead guilty. We've dealt with that when we've talked about things like the death penalty and sort of things like this. If the deal is sweet enough, and that's why the courts are so careful but this takes us all back to right where I started with this. This is not somebody that got caught up in the system. This is not some teenager that wound up, couldn't make bail and wound up a career criminal because they just got ate by the system. This is a 68-year-old woman who has had over 30 years in the legal profession at very, very high levels. By the way, Sidney Powell, before this Trump thing, was very well respected by just about everybody. People knew who she was in, in legal circles, right? This is not just like some person off the street corner. She decided to do this. I cannot weigh this and think about this and discern what's going on with these plea deals. And I know people put the politics like, oh, they're out to get Trump. Well, yeah, they're out to get Trump because he did something here. I just can't outweigh the fact that if there was ever an attorney who should have known better, it's the Sidney Powell's of the world. Yeah. And I think, like I said, she just probably felt kind of untouchable at this point in her life and her career that she could hide behind this veneer of her uh, reputation and her respectability as an attorney and now what does donald trump say Sidney powell was never my attorney <laughs> so she and she finds herself you know under the wheels of that bus that that trump likes to send out but he's probably here's the thing he's probably technically right because what we've been seeing in the rudy giuliani thing mm-hmm. he never actually paid giuliani anything so right. this is more, and this goes to the other question I wanted to ask about you, because here's one thing I do think is unfair in this coverage is I think the media is doing a real, the news media, let me specify. I think especially the broadcast news media, every time there's one of these plea deals, they immediately go to, oh, this person has flipped. Mm-hmm. No, that's not good legal analysis. It doesn't mean they're flipped. They're saving their own skins. And yes, that means they have to usually truthfully tell whatever they know. But we have a lot of book on Donald Trump. Michael Cohen just, uh, you know, is probably the most famous flipper of the flippies, if that's the right nomenclature here. He just testified this week and it meant absolutely nothing. And he didn't get anybody. Trump has this thing, you know, you joke about the New York mob boss kind of thing. He people do stuff for him without him officially telling them to do it, at least legally speaking. We're laughing about it. But if you took it to court, 
that would probably hold up that she wasn't his attorney, even though he, she said he was. They were on TV. Did he pay her a retainer? Did he actually pay her to do any of this? Did he order to do any of this? That's actually probably a defense, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's true. My understanding is he did not retain her. She was, um, you know, working to overturn the results of the election, which was his cause, I guess, is a better way of saying it. Um, so he's probably correct. He never retained her to represent him. Um, but in the work she was doing was kind of of her own volition. Um, but, you know, it, it's just very Trump like to disavow the people who are going down around him, even when they were on his side. And yes, she is going to be required to provide testimony for co-defendants on B. Well, I would say on behalf of the prosecution, but I mean that the prosecution would be the one calling her to the stand. I will say that she has already offered or what we call you know, made a proffer to the prosecutor of what her truthful testimony would be. And we don't know what that is. And normally what happens when you have that situation is the prosecutor will say, okay, we have this potential plea agreement. I want her to testify, but I'm not going to give her anything until I know what her testimony will be. So they will do kind of an off the record or informal um, uh, proffers and and if the plea agreement falls apart, the the understanding is that the prosecutor can't use that against this defendant. If if the defendant gives this information, this is what I'll testify to, and the prosecutor decides it's not helpful, never mind, I'm not giving you this plea agreement, they can't turn around and use that in court against that person. So something that she has told uh, the prosecutor's office in this case they feel is helpful to them, or I don't think we would have this plea agreement, or at least um, not in its current form. So she is going to have to testify. Donald Trump feels pretty confident that it's not going to hurt his case, according to his most recent attorney's statement. So, you know, we'll have to see. But she did agree to testify, and despite her social media postings, something that she has agreed to testify to is going to, uh, at least in the prosecutor's view, be helpful to their case. Yeah, M. Carpenter joining us. Okay, looking ahead a little bit, of course, we've got the New York civil case. That's the Michael Cohen stuff I was just referring to. That's a civil case. There's not going to be any jail time in that unless Trump keeps violating the gag orders that he's been doing. But we'll talk about that some other time. We have the Jack Smith case in D.C. We have the other cases, the Georgia case specifically, which is what this is. This is the Fannie Willis Fulton County D.A. office case. This is a racketeering and conspiracy case. One of the criticisms of it was with 19 defendants all charged at once, unlike what Jack Smith did, where he just charged Trump and then he's kind of picking everybody else off as he goes. People complained and said, well, that's too broad. It'll take too long. Talk about it from a legal perspective, though, because a lot of the lawyers I talked to said, yes, it's probably too broad, but probably planning on almost all of these defendants taking plea deals or pleading out and pleading it down and things like that. Now we're starting to see that happen. We've got five of the 19 at least. There's probably more coming from what we understand from some of the court paperwork. Just walk folks through that as they watch. It's like these are complicated cases. They have multiple layers, especially when you have a, def a overarching defendant like Donald Trump that's got four different cases going at once right now. Walk folks through it, though. It's like, yes, but this is how the system works. You have a big conspiracy racketeering case. You have to work through all this stuff. That's different than a single defendant case like what Jack Smith's doing, which is different than a single case like the civil case up in New York. You really have to parse all these out to understand what's going on in them, don't you? Yeah. And when you 
have so many co-defendants, or even when you only have two or even two or three co-defendants, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be tried together. They can all be contained within the same indictment, but the trials are often separated or severed from one another. I believe Sydney was going to, to go to trial with, with uh, Mr. Cheeseboro, the one other, one other defendant. So, and there was even a motion pending to sever those trials. So they can break it up in, into smaller chunks. Um, usually people who their conduct was done in concert, you know, directly in concert with one another as part of an overall scheme that involved many people. So, you know, on the one hand, you could think, you know, all of these defendants and their attorneys should get together and agree that no one's going to plead and, and make the prosecutor go through all of the time and effort to get through all of these cases and, you know, demand to be tried together, try to make it as difficult as possible. But in reality, a lawyer has the duty to their specific client to do the best they can for their client. And so that's what we're seeing with these plea deals, which are, are good deals for the defendants involved. So it was a it was an ambitious undertaking to to put all of those folks in one indictment, but there is a way there are ways to break it off into smaller chunks. Um, but you know, the the evidence of the wrongdoing of everyone involved would probably be included at the trial to the extent it is necessary to prove the overarching conspiracy, but um, they would not be trying all of these defendants at one time. All right. The piece is up at ordinary-times.com. It is called, of course, Sidney Powell's extorted. That's the point. A little bit of sarcasm there, but goes on to explain it. You're a great legal writer. We always appreciate you writing. More importantly, she's a great senior editor, makes all our stuff readable. Let folks know where they can follow you, keep up with you and what you got going on until we get you on the law's plane again, because we got a bunch of these cases coming. So we're going to keep coming back to you, my friend. Yep. WV Esquire S. I'm on the the Twitter slash X and also on Blue Sky. So you can find me there and my occasional writing at ordinary-times.com. She'll lure you in with the legal analyses, but really she just wants to talk about her Corning Wear collection and the various things she finds at thrift stores like casserole dishes that she's very proud of. So if you want to get on her good side and get a follow out of her, that's the way to do it. M. Carpenter, appreciate you, my friend. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Welcome back to Hertel. Uh, I want to bring attention to how social media is dealing with the Israel-Palestine-Hamas uh, terrorist attacks, the debates, especially on Twitter, because I'm on Twitter a lot, but Facebook and Instagram and all other social medias have the same problem. There is so much inform- disinformation going on. There's so much bad information. Um, President Biden was 100% correct in his press conference when he said you can't trust the Palestinian or the Gaza Health Ministry Uh, The Gaza Health Ministry is Hamas. You can't take their word for anything. We know civilians are getting killed, but you have to be careful with the information. Social media, you got to be even more careful because there's all this viral video going on. Our friend Kareem Rafai, who has been on this program before, I've reached out. I'm going to try to get him back on again. Um, He is doing amazing work. He is Syrian. His family is from Aleppo. Uh, This is very personal to him. And I'm going to send his Twitter follow uh, into the Substack notes. I want you to follow him if you're on Twitter. 
he has been doing yeoman's work on this because so much of these videos purported to be of Gazans suffering and Palestinians suffering actually isn't from that. It's from Syria. Now, why is this important? The brutal wars in Syria, the civil war, the things that have been going on there over the last five to ten years. Bashar Assad, the brutal dictator of Syria, with help from Russia, Vladimir Putin, especially the Wagner mercenary outfit, perpetrated great human rights violations and war crimes and, frankly, just some of the most awful stuff we've seen in human history on people in Syria, including Palestinians. He killed thousands of them. Bashar Assad and his Russian enablers, they leveled entire cities. Tens of thousands, if not more, people died because of this madman butcher. And he didn't really care if they were Muslims or Christians or whoever else. If they were rebelling, he killed them. Brutally so. And a lot of civilians that had nothing to do with the civil war and uprising against Assad also were killed. And a lot of Palestinians were killed. Funny enough, when Bashar Assad kills Palestinians, there don't seem to be a whole lot of protests worldwide to stop it. There were some. We covered it on our program. But uh, Kareem Rafid does a great job pointing out that a lot of these videos that are purported to be things going on in Gaza are actually from <laughs> Bashar Assad killing Palestinians in Syria. And he takes great offense to it because it not only reopens those wounds, but it shows the hypocrisy of the whole thing, and it deadens what his people in Syria have had to go through. What's going on in Gaza is bad enough. What's going on in Israel and the terrorist attack was bad enough. What the Palestinian people have to suffer under Hamas and others is bad enough. And if Israel does commit things that are outside the laws of warfare, we will say so. But you have to be super careful just because it's a video of people that look a certain way, acting a certain way in a certain violent situation doesn't mean it's what it's purported to be. We will link to Kareem's work. He does outstanding work. We hope to get him on the program again. If you haven't heard him on this topic, we will also link to the back episodes of Heard Tell where he's been on. Great guy. Follow him. Good information. It is on you. We talk about it at the start of this program. We have to discern the times we live in. That means listening to people know what they're talking about. And when it comes to Syria and the horrific things that happen there and how people are co-opting that terrible human tragedy perpetrated by the madman Basir Assad, who's a bloodthirsty thug. We need to listen to people like Kareem. We will link to it. More Hurt Tell right after this. back to Hurtel. Let's end on a good note. There's been a lot of heavy stuff we've been covering this week, important stuff. Let's end on a good note. I love this story so much because it's one of those little things people don't think of, but when people are in crisis, um, addiction crisis, mental health crisis, they tend to latch on to things, sometimes good things, that prevent them from getting treatment. One of them can be their pets, believe it or not. And some folks might kind of laugh at that, but if you're in the throes of addiction, and you usually have some other mental health issues that feed that addiction or cause that addiction or are supporting that addiction, 
people latching on to, well, I can't go get help because I, somebody has to take care of my dog or my cat or whatever. That's a really real thing to a lot of people, especially lonely people, because let's be honest, people that have really healthy relationships usually don't have as much problems with mental health and addiction, things like that. So they use their pets and their pets can be really good for their therapies. There's a reason there are therapy dogs. There are a reason they take dogs to hospitals to deal with kids. There's reasons we have service animals. Animals can really help things. So I love this story from the Salt Lake Tribune. I got this from our buddy, Keith Conrad. Make sure you subscribe to his new side quest. Uh, we'll link to that. Love Keith. Appreciate his work. Utah pets now have a safe place to stay if their owners enter drug and alcohol misuse treatment. This is from the Salt Lake Tribune. Jordan Miller is the reporter. I'm going to read from it. Bella was dubious as she poked her head around the carrier. The small black and white cat eyed her surroundings while a volunteer stroked her fur, easing her anxiety from the shrill bark of dogs in the back of the boarding facility. Bella isn't the feline's real name. The pseudonym is intended to protect her owner who is going through a difficult home situation. She's being housed by a foster with Rough Haven Crisis Shelter, that's Rough R-U-F-F, of course, which offers free short-term housing for pets while their owners are experiencing homelessness, escaping a domestic violence situation, or other emergencies like having to go to rehab. The nonprofit recently partnered with Odyssey House, Utah's largest comprehensive addictive program, to provide three months of free prep boarding while their owners seek treatment. This is fantastic. This is really person-based and person-led, said Beth Henry, Rough Haven's foster coordinator. Once pet owners have completed treatment and reach a place of safety and stability, the animal goes back with them. Process starts with an application and documentation of the homeowner of the owner's, excuse me, current situation, then a brief assessment of the pet, their weight, determining the general condition, along with vaccinations and ensuring the animal is fixed or planned to be fixed. The pet is then matched with a foster, and the client checks in on the pet once a week via text. Rough Haven has its fosters pass along photos and videos of the animals so the client can check in on their furry friend while separating. Let's pause here. Imagine what that's like if you're in rehab or in a facility and you get those little videos or pictures of your pet. It also gives you something to look forward to to get out. This is really good. Uh, my border that I use when I have to go travel sometimes, they send me videos and pictures every day of my pets, usually when they go out in the run pens and things like that. It's something I always appreciate. I can imagine if you're in a real dark place, that's even more important. Back to the piece. Some clients also have visitation where their foster drops them off at the dog's all-day facility and their owners can come see them. It's a good morale boost for them, Henry said. Sometimes we have animals that are kept here because their person likes to see them consistently. It's not super uncommon that they're going to be visited by their person every day if they're on a day release program. Cats especially because cats can get stressed out. Let me tell you about my stressed out cat that interrupts this program frequently and is one of the biggest reasons we pre-record and edit. Thank you, Kenobi, my daughter's cat, who bombs this program frequently but you don't know it because i edited it out might have to do a blooper reel of just kenobi at some point anyway finishing the piece but the new program is already seeing success since rough haven crisis sheltering opened in 2020 they have helped 320 families with almost 500 animals a lot of times owners worry they're going to forget them during their period the pet never forgets their person said christina pulsifer rough haven's executive director the reunions are why we do this and we have many people who have been clients that volunteer with us now or foster with us later what a great story. What a great way to help people. We talk about addictions on this program. We talk about mental health on this program. We're getting ready to do another mental health episode pretty soon because those have always been not only something we need to talk about, but they get great reaction. When you're going to help somebody, you have to go with a whole person mindset. You can't just cure their drug addiction. You can't just cure their alcoholism. You can't just fix their mental health. 
You have to work on their housing, their relationship, their job situation, and yes, even their pets. That pet relationship can help them hold on to reality from whatever they suffer on internally. And it's important. So anything you can do, like work with a pet to work with a human to make their life better and the better the lives of their family and friends in their community, it's worth your time and effort. Great piece from Salt Lake Tribune. Good on those folks out there. See if there's something like this in your area. And if you're a pet owner or pet lover and you can foster something temporarily for somebody, might look into doing that. I'm full up. Got four dogs and a cat plus teenagers and supernumeraries of various people that come and go. I'm good, but perhaps you can help them out. And that'll do it for Herd Tell. Love covering stories like that. We also cover the important stuff, not because we really like to sometimes, but because we have to. We have to discern the times we live in. Thank you so much for helping us with that. And here's how you can help us even more, and it'll never cost you anything more than a click or two. However you're listening to the program, whatever platform, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're even on some podcasting platforms over in India. We are worldwide. If it has a podcast, we are on it. Just type in Hertel Show or my name, Andrew Donaldson, should come right up. Make sure you're following or endorse subscribing or whatever that platform calls it. If that platform, especially something like iTunes, leaves you the option to leave a comment and a rating, please do that. That's really important for us because it lets the platform know that our programs worth checking out, but it also lets other people know. We don't do any advertising other than our own social media. We don't pay for advertising. So if you could do that, if you could put us on your own social media, let people know where to find us, we'd really appreciate it. If you're going to share us on your social media, make sure you share the hurtile.substack.com link. The Substack is free. It's a free subscription. All you do is put your email in there and everything we do from media appearances to my writing to various other things to every episode of Hurtel goes right to your inbox. You'll never miss a thing. Make sure you subscribe to all these things. We really appreciate it. Also, if you want to do us one more favor, give us some feedback. We love hearing from you. We've done whole stories and segments based on things people have asked us to cover. Let us know about our guests. Make sure you're following our guests. This is a team effort thing. If you ain't listening, we ain't got nobody to talk to and we don't have a program. So we appreciate you greatly. So wherever you and yours are across the street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you again real soon to do some more Hurt Tell. All the music on Hurt Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. 
Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.